So we are starting this um, new series in 1 Timothy, and I want to give you a little bit of context because we are going to be in it for the next six weeks. Timothy uh, is uh, a letter uh, that's in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's a letter that's written by Paul. Now, for those that don't know Paul, Paul um, was a Jewish leader who went from persecuting the church, hating the church, um, who had a supernatural encounter with Jesus, met Jesus face to face. And then his life completely changed, and he actually becomes, um, dedicates his life to sharing the gospel of Jesus um, throughout not just Jerusalem, but he actually becomes the first missionary to take out um, the gospel into the nations. Um, he, he wrote you know, a good portion of the New Testament, and Timothy is someone that Paul met along the way. Now, there's a decent age gap, right? And what we know about Timothy is that he probably was converted as a Christian under Paul's ministry during one of Paul's travels. So it's something really special. Um, The relationship between Paul and Timothy is something that is really unique in Scripture. Um, It's kind of like the spiritual father and a spiritual son. Um, Paul took Timothy under his wing, discipled him, mentored him, and taught him how to be a leader. And Timothy becomes a leader in the church um, in in the area of Ephesus. Now, there's two things that we need to understand about the context of the letter um, that will help us to understand the letter as we go. Um, Number one, it's a personal letter. Okay? Now, sometimes when we think of the Bible, when we think of Scripture, we think of it as like a textbook. We think of it as a uh, historical document. But when we read Timothy, you have to read it in the lens that it is a personal letter that a spiritual father has written to his spiritual son. So you'll, you'll, you'll read things that, that you kind of think, wow, that's a bit intense, but you've got to understand it's because they have that relationship, okay? Now, uh, Timothy is known as a, a pastoral epistle, um, and that's what the second point is. It's not only a personal letter, but it's a pastoral letter. Um, it's, it's, it's like an old dog teaching a young pup, and this was part of the care and nurture that Paul had for Timothy. Um, It's really cool because, you know, Paul writes all these letters to churches, letters to the Corinthians, letters to the Ephesians, you know, letters to the the church in Thessalonica. But but there's three letters, right? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus that Paul writes to people. And that's the letter that we're going to be in today. Now, let me talk about the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was set up by Paul in one of his visits. And Paul ends up sending Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to go and I want you to be the pastor at the church of Ephesus. Now, Timothy was young. He was young. And the church in Ephesus, they probably had older um, leaders in there. But Timothy, Paul, Paul uses his first letter to tell Timothy to encourage him, to teach him, and teach through him the church in Ephesus. What you're going to find in this first letter is that Paul is going to teach through some of the things uh, as what we would say are the blueprints of the church, some of the foundational elements of the church. Um, This is what church should look like. And so that's what Paul's going to give. Um, You're going to get quite a variety of of issues that exist in the church of Ephesus and that Paul's going to address. 
And I'll give you the cameo now. Some of them a little bit more controversial than others. Um, we're going to hit some of the more controversial issues in this book. Now, here's the beauty of it. Just because it's controversial doesn't mean it's not truth. Just because it's controversial doesn't mean we shouldn't go to it. Just because it's hard for us to deal with, it doesn't mean we should avoid it. Now, it doesn't mean that i got all the answers, right? I'm going to tell you what, what I think Scripture says, right? Oh, that's no, not really. I'm just going to tell you what all these other really smart pastors and authors, that, what they say Scripture says and what I agree with. Um, but it doesn't mean that we should avoid the discussion around some of the harder issues, which we're going to talk about, not this week, or actually starting from this week, really. Um, but yeah, hopefully, as we study this book, you'll be able to ask questions like, hmm, I wonder if our church is like this. I wonder if the blueprint that Paul is giving to Timothy applies to our church. I wonder how we're doing as well. And so I think it's a very um, good mix of a theological book, but also a very practical book as well. So that's the introduction. All right. In any building, the most important element, one would say, is the foundation of that building. Right? Now, the foundation of the building, we hardly get to see. Right? We have Andy here, who's a civil engineer. He builds stuff. So he would tell us, right? And we would have to believe him because he's a civil engineer, right? That the most important thing, one of the most important things about a building is the foundation. Why? Because if the foundation sucks or if the foundation is rocky, then whatever you build on top of it is going to shake. Right? It doesn't matter how nice and how much money you pour into the building on top. If the foundation is not right, then it's going to not be a good outcome. If the foundation, however, is strong, then the building has every chance to be strong. I, I don't know if you've ever played chess before, but chess is a very, um, it's an intellectual game. I don't really know how to play very well, but... Um, the whole game of chess is revolved around taking out the king of the opponent. The whole, it's a very strategic game. Um, you win the game by killing their king, right? So the whole game is you have all these pieces and you make maneuvers and certain pieces only work certain ways for the sake of killing the king because the king is important. Now, in chess, not only do you have to kill their king, but because the king is so important, you actually have a king too, and, and you have to protect your king. So that's why it's this amazing game of offense and defense and things like that. Because the king is the centerpiece of this game. What do you think is the centerpiece of church? What do you think would be the foundation of church? Right? The foundations of the building. Right? The most important thing in the building is the foundation. The most important thing in the game of chess is your king. What about the church? We need to know because that is what is most important. That is the thing that church cannot exist without. So what's the one thing that church can't exist without? Is it the building? Is it the people? Is it the programs? I think 1 Timothy and actually all the scripture is going to tell us that the one thing that the church cannot exist without is the truth. Is what is true. Another way to say that is true 
doctrine, what we believe to be truth. See, one of the issues in the church of Ephesus that they were dealing with was around the idea of truth. What is truth? And we had these people that were starting to teach truth, which was, it wasn't truth, so they call it false teaching or false doctrine. And that's where we find, that's where we begin the letter, where Paul begins to write to Timothy addressing this major issue. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, and it will be on your screen. As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So this is what Paul says to Timothy. You need to stay in Ephesus. You need to stay in Ephesus so that you can command people to stop teaching false doctrine. Now, this is going to be really important for us next week when we start talking about false doctrine and, and, and what is true. But Paul tells Timothy the importance of having true doctrine. Because false doctrine promotes controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work. False doctrine actually takes away, it actually takes away from what God is trying to do. We've been doing church here for eight years, and I'd love to say that we have been immune from false teachings, but we have had some funny teachings that have turned up in our church as well. See, when the truth is important, you've got to protect it, right? If someone starts, you know, trying to knock down the foundation of this building, you know, you're not going to just let it be. You have to protect it. And so that's what Paul's saying. A matter of importance is that, is that we need to make sure that we know the truth and that we are stopping false doctrine or false teachings happening within our community. But what's really interesting is what's written in verse 5. And it reads this, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Paul makes sure that Timothy understands the commandment to call out false doctrine and false teaching is not to teach them a lesson and, and make sure that they know that if they keep teaching false doctrine that they're going to go to hell, you're going to burn. It's actually the opposite. The goal of the correction is actually love. You call out what is false, but you love them and not judge them. Paul makes this distinction very clear. Protecting the truth is very important, but you do it not because you're better than them and not because you're going to look down on them, but actually because you love them. Verse 8 to 11, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. The goal, but... And I think we get this wrong. I think the church has gotten this wrong. 
Yes, protect the truth, but you protect it by loving others, not judging them. We protect them and we correct because we're thinking about that person and their interests, not our own. So many times we're so quick to correct because we want to be right. Isn't that the truth? We're so quick to, you know, point out something that's wrong. And the reason why we do it is because we want to feel better. We want to feel elevated. We want to feel higher. But actually Paul says, no, you, you, you call out false doctrine, you call out false teaching, but you do it because actually you love that person. You actually do it for that person. It's like my children, right? My children do a lot of things wrong, right? And how sad would it be, right, if I'm there correcting them because I want to feel better about myself? Like, you stupid kids. You don't even know how to do this. You know, I knew how to do that when I was like half your age. And you're just building yourself up and you're just demoralizing them. See, you would think, man, that's a real bad father. There's no love in that at all. But we correct our kids because we have to. Right? You're not going to let your kid just keep going, you know, two plus two equals five. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Try again next time. You know? No, you're going to correct them, but you're not gonna, you don't want to be there going, you stupid, two plus two doesn't equal five, you stupid. Right? And I think this is really important for us because I think it really challenges us when we are faced with false doctrine or false teaching or false ideas. Are you going to be motivated to teach or are you going to be motivated to love? And Paul makes it very clear here. The commandment, the commandment to stop people from teaching false doctrine isn't to look down on them, but actually is to love them. It's something that we need to understand. Don't forget this next time. Ask the question, how can I be loving towards them, not how can I correct them? Let's be motivated out of love. So the question is, how do we know what is false in? How do we know what is false teaching? How do we know what is false doctrine? And I, and I hear this a lot of the time, right? Especially from people that are, are more newer to the church. They hear an idea about church or they hear some kind of theological concept. And, and they're kind of like, oh, it kind of sounds right. You know, it kind of sounds legitimate, but I just don't know. How do I know? And I use this example, but how do you know that 2 plus 2 equals 5 is a false statement? Have you ever thought about this? How do you know that 2 plus 2 is not 5? Right? How do you know that? This morning we had, um, we had a 2-year-old answer that for us. And he told us that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Right? And I didn't want to take it further, but... I was like, I couldn't ask the kid, well, how do you know that, right? How do you know? How do you know two plus two does not equal five? It's because you know that two plus two equals four. That's actually the only way you know. You can only know what is false when you know what is truth. You can only know what is false if you know what is true. 
I keep bringing up this, this friend of mine, this Brazilian jiu-jitsu friend, right? I don't know why, it just keeps coming. And I promise you, it's not even written here. It just comes to me. He inspires me. If I start a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right, and I start rolling with these guys, I'm like rolling these guys, you know, putting them in headlocks, right? How do I know what I'm doing is wrong? Someone goes to me, hey, you're doing it wrong. Uh, yeah, probably, right? But actually, the only way you know you're doing it wrong is when someone points out to you the proper way to do it. You only know that it's false when you find out what is truth. I have a friend, another friend. I have lots of friends, right? But I have this friend, right? He's super wise. Wisest guy that I know, right? He has this aura of like a sage. He's got the body of Buddha and the mind of like a semi-god, right? And this guy, man, he knows so much about everything, right? A little bit about everything. And so many times... You, you start talking about something and he can chime into that conversation. And what he says sounds so wise, so correct, until you Google it. And what we found out after many years is that actually a lot of stuff that he says is not correct, right? But we would, we would never have known that if we never Googled it. Because he would say something, you know, he'd be talking about the atmosphere, right? How many of us know actually what's in the atmosphere, right? And, and, and he'd say something and all of us would be like, oh, yeah, 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 that kind of makes sense. You know, because you don't have any other reference until you Google it and you realize that it's completely wrong, right? Friends, if you want to know what false doctrine is, if you want to know what false teaching is, the most sure way to know that is actually to know the truth. It's not to go around and try to debunk every false, every false, every false. You can do that the rest of your life and you won't even get to half. There's so many different ideologies and teachings out there. If you want to know what false is, the best way to do it is to know the truth and know it well because whatever is not truth is false. See, this is what Paul says to Timothy in verse 10. And for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. What does Paul say is truth? True doctrine is gospel. It's the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down, died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, your sin and my sin. And he died. And on the third day, he resurrected and he went back to heaven and he says, whoever believes in me, shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches us as truth. And on that note, anything that is not aligned with that gospel is therefore considered false. Paul tells us that the truth is the gospel of Jesus. 
And then in verse 12 to 17, Paul ex- goes to explain further on what the gospel is. But this is the beauty of this letter, one of the favorite parts of this letter. He's, he's not going to teach Timothy theologically what the gospel is, but he's going to show Timothy what the gospel is in his life. Remember, right? It's a personal letter. It's a pastoral letter. Because, friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a theological, biblical concept that tells us what can and can't happen. The gospel is the living truth that gives us life and gives us hope for us who were spiritually dead. So as I read Paul's explanation of the gospel, listen to, listen to the way he explains it. Right? Listen to the way he explains it. Here we go, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his servant. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what the gospel is. I love this explanation of the gospel because Paul doesn't go, here's gospel, point A, point B, point three. Right? He shows Timothy, Timothy, this is the gospel and this is how it worked in my life. This is how the gospel works in our lives, that it transforms our lives. This is Paul's testimony that I was once a very bad man and he calls himself the worst. And he was spiritually blind, but by the grace of Jesus that was poured upon him, he received life and life eternal. He's been forgiven for all his sins, even though he didn't deserve it, even though he, didn't, he was the least to receive the gift of life. And that's the gospel. The gospel says that you, O oh sinner, who don't deserve life, who don't deserve forgiveness, I'm going to give it to you because I love you. The truth, this is the truth. This is the truth from God that he gives to us. And if you want to make sure and you want to know what is false around the world, anything, anything that disagrees with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is false. That's what we believe. That's what we believe when we say Scripture is truth. So how do we apply this then in our lives? Uh, There are three things that I think that we can take out of this. Number one, we've got to know the truth. Firstly, as Paul declares to Timothy, the transformational nature of of the truth, of the gospel, well, we need to know that for ourselves. 
the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That, that he didn't die to make bad people good, but he, made, he died to make dead people alive. Well, we've got to know that for ourselves. We've got to know that Jesus has done this for us. That he gives us life eternal through the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, this is why the gospel is so important. One of the things that we find is that so many people reject the church and reject God, but they don't even, they, they don't even know what they're rejecting. Now, you might not be a Christian, and, and, and the gospel may not be the foundation in your life, but at least know what you're rejecting. If you're going to believe it, you've got to know what you're going to believe, and if you're going to reject it, know what you're going to reject. But we've got to know this truth. You know, so many times we sway. Right? We sway. And the reason isn't necessarily the temptations of the world pull us and push us. It's actually that we are not deeply rooted, or the truth is not deeply rooted inside of us. See, a lot of us would consider the Christian faith as a truth. Right? It can be a truth. You know, the argument that all religions, you know, end up, you know, with God anyway. No, that's saying that the Christian faith is a truth. But what we're saying is based on our belief in the Bible is that the Christian faith is the truth. Absolute truth. But it's something that you and I need to really understand. Understand that you and I by nature and by action, are sinners. You and I, we rebel and we reject God all the time. We don't deserve God. We don't deserve to be saved. And yet, God saved us freely. He loved us freely. See, friends, any theology or any thought that says that you can only go to God with your works or with how much you know or anything to do with you is false because the gospel of Jesus Christ says that you can do nothing. God will do everything. Any amount of you thinking that by my doing good works or by my living a good moral life that I'm going to get, I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to earn, you know, um, God's favor. Well, that's just false. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says, by Christ alone, it's not the gospel plus something. It's just the gospel. Anything that says gospel plus something, gospel plus good works, gospel plus prosperity, gospel plus theological understanding, gospel plus Bible college. No. We say that is all false. Because the scriptures tell us that it is gospel and gospel alone. But you've got to know this. Because... There are some really smart people in this world. Start whispering. And this is how people turn away from the truth. 
We've, if we want to stay away from false teaching, we got to know the truth better than anything else. So number one, know the truth. Secondly, love the truth. We protect the things we love. Isn't that the truth? We protect the things we love. I believe God is calling us not just to know the truth for ourselves and be saved, but to love the truth that we were saved by. I think there's two reasons why God wants this. Number one, that it would be so valuable to us, that we would love the gospel so much of what, what Jesus has done for us, and that it would be so important to us that, number one, we would share it with other people. I use this example this morning. I preached this sermon twice now, so you get the improved version. The morning version is the more raw version. I feel like I shout more in the morning now. I feel a little bit more calmer in the afternoon. I wish someone 10 years ago sat me down and said, Steve, this is something you need to do. It's something that I have invested into. It's something that I have sold all my possessions. I've taken loans. You need to buy Bitcoin. 10 years ago, if someone said that to me, or I don't know if it was Bitcoin around 10 years ago. Yes, it was. Maybe not discovered. Five years ago. If someone said to me, and, and you know what? I'm like, man, why did no one do that for me? Right? Imagine you bought Bitcoin at a dollar. <sighs> and you bought 10 of them for $10. Do you know how much that's worth right now? It's worth $600,000. Right? And I'm like, where are all my smart friends at? Right? But do you know why I never bought Bitcoin? And I, I haven't bought Bitcoin, by the way. <laughs> Just avoiding controversy there. It's because no one sold it to me to be that valuable. No one sat me down five years ago and said, Steve, I just sold my house. I just took out a loan. And I'm going all in on this thing. It's the most important thing that you can do, Steve. You need to do it. Now, no one did that for me. Right? That's why I never bought Bitcoin. If something is of that much value and something is that important to you, then you will share it. You will share it. You know, we, we share even the meaningless things. Like a chip goes on sale at Coles and suddenly on the group chat, hey, CC's chips half price. CC's chips, oh, thanks for letting me know. Thanks for letting me know. You know? <laughs> if the gospel is that important, and not just that we know it, but we love it so much that we want other people to have it. We're going to share it with people. That's why I believe God's calling us not just to know the truth, but to love the truth. So that firstly, you can share it with people. But secondly, to love it so much. Love the gospel so much that you will protect it. See, the second reason why I think God wants us to love the gospel and love the truth so much is that we would actually protect it. And that doesn't mean, you know, you, you can't be indifferent to something that you love. 
To be indifferent is like, eh, whatever, I don't care, you know. Like, yeah, you know, you make your choice. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. If you love it, you love it, you protect it, you're passionate about it. I love my children, or four and a bit of them. I love them so much. They are so valuable to me that if anyone, well, firstly, we'll, we'll use the first point, right? I'm happy to tell other people that they're my children. <laughs> proud dad, right? Hashtag proud dad, right? But secondly, if someone was to come to them with the purpose of harm or of ill intent, I'm not going to sit back and go, ah, oh, you know, I've got so many of them. You know, <laughs> one goes, it's okay, just make another one, you know? Like, if I love them, which I do, anyone comes to bring harm to my children, I will bring the God of thunder outside, inside that, that roars inside of me. And I'm not saying that I'm Thor, but that's the, that's the uh, implication, right? I will bring, you don't want to see that. Because I don't, I don't mind going to jail. I really don't. I just do ministry in jail. Right? Why? Because I love them. And my love for my children is real. When you love the gospel, when you love the truth, when someone says something against that, I'm not saying get into an argument, but I'm saying you've got to be able to stand up. You've got to be able to draw that line. You know, there, a few years ago, many years ago, oh, Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene. You know, um, what was that book? The Da Vinci Code. Oh, man. Like, it, it was such a fun time to be in ministry because all these pastors were releasing. Like, before the movie came out, the book came out, and, and as the movie was coming out, everyone realized that, oh, my God, no one reads books, but everyone watches movies. So we need to be ready. So there were so many articles around. I've never seen so many pastors read the Da Vinci Code, right? And they was, every argument that came out that went against Scripture, there was multiple, hundreds and hundreds of articles, right? That's what it means to love the truth enough to protect it. When someone says, Jesus died on the cross, and you have to live a good life, and therefore you will be worthy of his love. You've got to be able to say, well, no, friend, actually that's not the truth. Because I'm going to protect that truth because I know Jesus loves me. So I know because the Bible tells me so. And I know that for everyone else. And I don't want other people, I don't want, I don't want anyone to disdain my God. I don't want anyone to tell fib stories about my God. Because he said, I love anyone and everyone, and I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for them. I don't want anyone to be making up Chinese whisper stories about my God. So I'm going to protect that, because I love that. We protect what we love, so love the truth. Finally, live the truth. Number one, know the truth. 
Number two, love the truth. Number three, live the truth. As Paul described the gospel in the context of his life, this truth must be apparent in our lives. What's the point of knowing the truth? What's the point of loving the truth and having no impact in your life at all? That's false. That means that you know of something, but you actually don't know for yourself. This is what testimony is all about. Something that actually I've learned from our associate pastor, May. The importance of sharing testimony. Sharing a testimony is just sharing a story of how God or the gospel moved in your life this week. In your life groups, I hope that you're doing that. That's something that you know, Pastor May has been encouraging us to do. You start by sharing how the gospel has been living out in your life. So encouraging. What's the point of knowing the truth if you're not going to live it? Because if you know the gospel, if you've been transformed by the gospel, if you love the gospel, then actually the stories of the gospel will come over and over and over again. Because it's a part of your life. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of what you do. That's why Paul shares his story to Timothy to not just show him the truth, but to show him that the gospel is active and alive in his life and how it changed him, how it continues to change him. Because that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of knowing the truth in your life. It changes you from dead to alive. And it continues to mold you to become more like Jesus. Friends, the truth is important because it's what has changed us. It's what is, going to, it's what is changing us right now. And it's what guarantees our future with God. The truth is the foundation of the church. And this truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So friends, I pray that you would know this truth. I pray that you would love this truth to share it and to protect it. And finally, I pray that you would live this truth out in your life and that it will transform and continue to transform every area of your life. Let's pray.